What is going on, everybody? It's me, your host, Nicholas Willard, and you're listening to Almost Canon. So, like I say every week, if you have a weird or unusual story, then we want to hear it. If it deals with the paranormal or the unknown, we want to hear it. You can send us an email at almostcanonpod at gmail.com. You can hit us up via our Facebook page at Almost Canon Podcast. You can try us through our Instagram at Almost Canon Pod. But I've been I've been lacking on the Instagram. Uh, and actually, quite frankly, I don't I don't even really like using Instagram. But anyway, if you have, like I said, a weird or unusual story that deals with the paranormal or, or unknown, we want to hear it now. We have Chad again with us. I believe he's going to be a uh, a permanent weekly co-host, right? Is that the plan? Is that your plan? That's my plan, man. I'm aboard. All Perfect. aboard. Perfect. So, I don't know if you can hear that. My kid's throwing a fit in the back. Just ignore that. Um but yeah, there's a couple things I just want to cover really quick before we get started, and that is Night Country. So I just want to go over this really quick um, because we were supposed to have Tom Pollard back on this week. Uh, you know, he's been on the show before. Longtime listeners would know he's, you know, uh, the Everest mystery, and he he was aboard the Veracocha 2, the Reed ship, um, and we were going to bring him on. And we were going to talk about, um, well, I don't want to give too much away. We were going to talk about these two mysteries that apparently, or at least one of them, um, was inspiration for this show, uh, True Detectives Night Country. However, he was busy. We couldn't get that. So we're, we're kind of, um, we're going to do an episode this week. Where I, I'm not necessarily, I don't, I don't necessarily think I'm done with the research. However, I don't think I'll, I'll ever be done. I kind of went down the rabbit hole, and it just keeps going and going and going. And I don't think I'll ever end. So there's not no better time to do tonight's episode than today. And also, I don't know if you listen to the Confessionals by Tony Merkel and Merkel Media. It's another podcast, but they had this author named Gary Wayne. I don't know if you ever heard of him. No. No, you haven't. Um, well, we're we're gonna be having Gary on in April. This guy's booked all the way straight through. This is as soon as I can get him on. But, Sweet. But yeah, what he talks about deals with a lot of what I'm gonna be talking about tonight. Um, so this this episode kind of falls on a perfect spot. Um, now for all those people that are listening and watching, there may be a part two to this. So stay with us. Oh, there, yeah. I might, we might have to break this into two parts. Um, and then the next thing I wanted to bring up was just a quick little thing. You know, uh, listeners will know that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rural mail carrier. Um, and I just want to say, if you don't shovel your mailbox out, 
then fuck you. Like, I just wanted to say that right off the bat. I, I'm so sick of it. I, I, oh my God, I'm so sick of it. I, I, I was trying to be nice, right? I pulled up to this box. There's a bunch of snow everywhere. I was like, you know, they have a package. I'm going to deliver this package. I'm going to be nice. And I knocked the weld off my exhaust and screwed it all up. It's my car is super loud now. I got to get it fixed at some point. So if you don't show me your mailbox out, just remember you're causing a lot of pain for your mail carrier. And I want to say, if any of you people have seen the movie Waiting, you know what happens when you piss off your waiter. You probably don't want to piss off your mailman. Yeah, you you might be surprised to know, but a lot of the same shit goes on at the postal at the post it's... office. So, <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, thank you for what you do, my man. We appreciate. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. No problem. Um, so yeah, let's get into tonight's episode. All right. When we think of gods, mythologies, and beings of higher power. We often think of figures like Thor and Loki, you know, Zeus, Hercules, Osiris, Anubis, all these these normal everyday guys that we've heard about through mythologies in school, high school, you know, movies, TV shows, Marvel. You know, we think of these regular old gods, right? Um, so we 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 know they they had like super strength and could shape shift into different animals control the minds of man, the elements, and even time itself. We often picture them as always having been there, not realizing or totally forgetting that the gods worshipped by ancient peoples were usually born from older gods. You know, these these gods mm. that we that we know of and we think about when we think of mythologies, th- these are often like third or even fourth generation gods. Um, are we talking about like, now, and again, for all those listeners and viewers, I'm not well versed in this, but I know the legit, the basics. So when you say primordial, my brain goes to Gaia. Is Gaia primordial? Hmm. Then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's like, and we'll get into double. it. Like, I'm telling you, we'll get into it. Okay. All, right, all right. But yes, that is correct. Um, yeah. So I think that the easy, the easiest example of, of like your everyday or, or probably as far back that the normal person uh, can think about like mythologies is like Kronos and how he ate the Olympians, you know, the Olympians and the Titans. That's about as far back as your 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 average, you know, uh, history lesson will take you. However, that's they're like second or uh, third and fourth generation gods, you know, um, there were gods that came before them. Right. So. In the, in the case of Kronos and the Olympians, you know, like he was, uh, Kronos was tricked into swallowing a rock instead of Zeus. Um, you know this story, right? Right. Yeah, I think, uh, and just as a game reference for all those, I mean, a lot of us have played God of War. So there's right. a lot of reference okay. in the original yeah. series. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I also did plenty of Greek mythology research. So yes. Right. Okay. So that that's about like, but you know, how how were the Olympians even created, and um, what 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 came before the Titans? Really, you know that that's that's what we're gonna get at really tonight. Um, well, the answer to this question is something that connects the Titans and the Olympians to a much deeper web 
of mythology, and it doesn't stop there. So you have the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the ancient Greeks, Hindus, uh, you know, the deity, the deities of uh, uh, Taoism, which is like a, you know, a Chinese religion, um, and all those of, of different First Nations and Native American tribes, as well as the theology that makes up Judaism and Christianity and Islam, which is also connected to this whole thing. Um, now, you said one of the religions was uh, was uh, Taoism. Yeah. Are you, are you talking about Taoism? Yeah, Taoism. Thank you. Okay. Just wanted to confirm. All right. So, okay. This is spreading quite a blanket over cultures, as it sounds. Right. Um, and so I'm kind of getting, you know, I've been digging through this stuff and just like, paranormal weird phenomenon uh in general and you know i've been going pretty deep and i'm 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 kind of getting the feeling that these these ancient beings these ancient deities and gods you know they could quite possibly be behind you know the strange phenomena that goes on in places like the bermuda triangle the devil's triangle bridgewater triangle um the bennington triangle which is what i'm going to try to do i want to connect all the you know the, these ancient gods and primordial beings and all this weird crazy stuff that goes on in the world and i want to try to bring it all back to the bennington triangle um now when you say bennington triangle are you talking about this being the epicenter of everything like you feel like this is the the spot well in just like i feel like there could be one of these primordial gods right in the bending, you know, like we'll, we'll call him like a sleeping god within the mountain, Gladstonbury Mountain, and that's the epicenter of the weird stuff that goes on in the Bennington Triangle. Uh, okay, all right, and and so would you know, same thing with the Bermuda Triangle and all you know, Alaskan Triangle and all these weird places. There's there's something at the at the center that's causing this weird stuff to happen, you know. So before we get into like all of that into the really deep stuff. I kind of want to do a a quick recap on the founding of Gladstonebury uh and you know the Bennington Triangle in general. So I know that we didn't really cover the founding of Gladstonebury back when I did my uh, Bennington Triangle episode, but we did talk about, you know, the local Abenaki warning the incoming settlers and it almost seems like the early settlers did take those warnings to heart and the ones who didn't were, were seemed to be forced out by something. So the Abenaki, you know, they warned them. They said not to go to the summit. Don't go to the mountain. The mountain's evil, blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. Um, And for the most part, it seems like the early, you know, European settlers kind of stayed away from the mountain in general. But then again, you have this whole ghost town. It's, it's you know, it's a ghost town now of Glastonbury. So yeah, I'm gonna take this all the way back to the beginning really quick. Uh, we'll we'll try to get through it as fast as we can so we can get into the the good stuff. Uh, so Vermont became the 14th state in March of 1791, and it was carved out of land owned by New Hampshire but claimed by New York. However, prior to the state's founding, New Hampshire Governor Benning Wentworth, who chartered nearby Bennington in 1749 chartered Gladstonebury in 1761 along with several other nearby towns. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess it's it's so it's said 
that he traveled to Glastonbury Wilderness, that, you know, the area that he chartered to be this town. It's it, this this is this is what it says. I mean, I don't know if it if it's officially true or not, but you know, this is this is what you will find when you look up this whole Glastonbury area and the and its founding. Um so he traveled the Glastonbury wilderness and experienced his own paranormal happenings in the form of strange forest lights, frightening screams and yells, and mysterious shadow-like beings just beyond the trees. Um, so nobody should be surprised that the families didn't start to filter into the region until the late 1780s uh, or the early 1790s. So, you know, this whole area, apparently from the beginning of at least European um, recorded history, was kind of, of off to a bad start, right? Like I said, Vermont was founded in 1791, and in the initial census, only six families were said to live in Gladstonebury. But instead of staying to make a home for them themselves, they left and were replaced by another eight families in the 1800s. This this is going to be a lot of numbers and a lot of boring shit. Um, replaced? Yeah, so the, the original families, they would leave, and then eight more families came in and kind of took took their so place. who did like who did the replacing was it the just like a totally different eight families you know okay okay however only three of them so three of those eight families would remain by the next census 10 years later um and then 10 years after that only one of the you know second generation families remained um however a large number of settlers had found their way into the mountains making the total population by 1810 76 hmm. which is quite a bit more than it was when it when it started uh but by 1840 only 53 people remained on the mountain now we know populations they always fluctuate no matter where you are especially in you know the hardened vermont forests uh however i can't help but think that the abenaki warning had something to do with the families not lasting very long. So it would seem like families would move there and then they would leave within 10 years, you know? And and back in, in you know, the early 1800s, you don't just like move somewhere, spend all this time building a house just to pack up and leave. You know, you kind of want to claim that land, farm that land, do whatever you can on that land. You want to stay there, you know? So it's it's weird how these people are just coming and leaving coming and leaving um but i mean it i guess maybe maybe it was just harsh up there and they couldn't make a living at it so they decided to leave you know who 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 really knows uh it wouldn't be until the 1870s that gladstonbury's population really boomed and the town of gladstonbury became what we know of it today so two settlements or villages were established those of fayville which is um which, you know, I find kind of ironic because I believe it is associated with like fae like beings being on the mountain. I don't know. You know, obviously it doesn't mean anything. And then South Glastonbury. So you have Fayville and South Glastonbury. There are two villages that make up the Glastonbury township. Um, and with this booming population came booming businesses. By the late 1870s, South Glastonbury was one of three locations that produced charcoal, 
on an industrial scale. And I, they had a dozen kills, kiln. I can't say this word, kiln. I a kiln? Yeah, there we go. Kiln, kiln, a dozen kilns running. Uh, but as mentioned in our coverage of the triangle by the late 1880s, the citizens of Gladstonebury had literally burned through all their f fuel and the main source of income came to a halt. So they, they were making charcoal, which was used in a whole bunch of stuff, right? And they were literally cutting down all the trees on the, you know, in the area. And then they were, you know, burning it all. They were this huge, huge source for about 10 years, right? Mm. Uh, and then that kind of like, they ran out of trees to cut down and burn up. And then they were like, what are we going to do? Uh, and they decided to kind of revitalize the area and they spent a fortune in the process. They hoped to become a resort town, transforming the, the boarding house into a grand hotel. And you can see pictures of this online. I'll, we'll, I'll post some pictures of it. And the general store into a casino, which opened for business in the summer of 1897. However, the snow melt and the rain that came down in the spring of 1898 took out the electric trolley as well as sections of the railroad track um, and bridges, which essentially cut off all of Glastonbury. It was just you couldn't get there. Right. Um, and this this just killed business. It killed their whole thing. They're open for one season. That was it. And the town literally became a ghost town. Like almost overnight. Um, and by the 1930s, only six people remained in Gladstonebury. Hmm. I need a drink. You're spilling a lot of information, my friend. Yeah, yeah. That and this this is all the board the boring shit. We're, we're gonna get into mm -hmm. some, some some real cool stuff here in a second. There was one story that we didn't really go over when we talked about, you know, all these mysteriously missing people and stuff. Uh, and that is the story of John Harbor, uh, who was mysteriously shot and killed in the fall of 1897. Now this could have a this could be totally cut and dry. We can get into it really quick or maybe it is a complete mystery, who knows. Uh just south of Gladstonebury there is an area known as Brickford Hollow and in this place John Harbor of Woodford owned a hunting camp. The year was 1897 and it was Vermont's very first hunting season. John, his brother, and a family friend had gone up to this hunting camp to try and bag a buck. However, instead of shooting a whitetail, something mysterious happened. Uh, a mystery that's considered to kind of kicked off the modern day triangle mystery. So during that day in 1897, John's brother uh, and friend would hear a, the report of a rifle, as well as John yelling out, I've been shot. Mm. Right? Uh, the two, they stopped what they were doing and went back for John. But the thing was, they couldn't find him anywhere. He was completely gone. Uh, it wouldn't be until the next day when they saw his legs sticking out from behind a tree that they finally found him, except something was off. They could see that he had been shot a short distance from where his body lay, but there was no sign in the leaves of him having walked or crawled to the spot that he had died. His rifle also looked to have been laid down carefully next to him, which was also fully loaded. This meant he hadn't shot himself or shot whoever had shot at him. 
Um, and obviously they only heard one one rifle report. It also meant whoever did shoot him probably moved his body to where it was laid, you know, where it currently laid. So while John was found and uh, relatively faster than the others who have gone missing in that area, his killer has never been discovered. So who knows? Maybe John's, you know, brother killed him. Maybe the friend killed him. Could be cut and dry. This is just kind of the mystery that kicks off the modern day Bennington Triangle high strangeness, you know? One of the most interesting things on the mountain that I believe, um, and it's not really talked about a whole lot, is the Carnes. I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this. It's kind of a mystery, complete mystery. We didn't really cover it last time. Um, but there's these, there's like five or six of them. We'll get into it really, uh, you know, in a second here. Near the summit of the mountain, they're very strange. Uh, do, you, do you know what a carn is? A stone carn? I've never heard of it until you just, no? even brought, it, just brought, so, brought it up. So it's like a, a bunch of stones kind of stacked together in a pile. Some of them, are, I've seen carns here in Vermont. Oh, the ones that are stacked? Yeah, Vert- like sometimes uh, you'll see them on the side vertically. of the river. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Glastonbury Mountain at the summit has several of these that are huge. Um, and we'll, we'll get into them. And like I said, I've seen Carnes here in Vermont, actually right on the same mountain that I had my mysterious encounter that is literally, uh, I don't know, nine feet tall. Like th- these, these Carnes are huge. And the ones on Glastonbury are, are, you know, pretty damn big. So, and I always like to bring this up too, when I'm talking about stones, what is a stone? So officially, a stone is a rock that has a purpose. You know, I always, I don't know why I always remember that, but difference between a rock and a stone is, you know, a stone is a rock with a purpose. So one thing we're taught from an early age is that people erect monuments to their gods, right? And in the the earliest of these monuments uh, were built from stone, were uh, built from stone. We know some stones and stone structures hold a magical uh, or, you know, have mystical powers. Uh, we know man has been erecting stone monuments and dedicating them to their gods since the dawn of civilization. And before, uh, there's even examples that before man could build their own monuments, they worshipped ones created by the earth itself. So in hmm. 2006, the University of Oslo claimed that a stone site in a cave located at uh, Sodilo Hills in Botswana, which is, you know, in uh, Africa, uh, was the oldest known worshipped site on earth, with human habitation going back to about 70,000 years ago. At this location, there was a cave, uh, and in this cave, there was a rock that is naturally shaped like a python's head, Uh, and this head is surrounded by you know, sacred animals painted on the walls, as well as ritualistically burned spear points, you know, that have been left in sacrifice. Um, Now, I will say there is some pushback to this claim, uh, but it seems to be pretty much against the site's age and not necessarily questioning the fact that this ancient, you know, the ancient Shan people, which are the, the Africans that lived in this specific area, uh, worship the snake's head. So they worship the head. It's just 
you know, it's kind of a toss up. Was it 70,000 years ago? Was it 50,000 years ago? You know, you, 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 uh, famously, everybody knows you can't date stone. You know, you can only, uh, carbon date organic material. So it's difficult to, to date stone. Uh, but besides the, the, the Sodillo Hills serpent stone, there are other locations around the world built by human hands uh, in use for religious pur purposes in one way or another. Many date to the Neolithic period and are seen, you know, all over the world, uh, all throughout history. Is You know, it's just history is full of these sacred stone sites. Now, I have a list of a couple. And the first one I have here is the Betel Stone. It's a sacred stone that, that gave a, a worshiper access to a deity or god. They have been described as the ancestor, you know, to the altar, uh, which is like the so a, a Betel Stone would be like the rock Jacob laid his head on before being shown the, the ladder to heaven. That's an example. Mm. The um, I can never get over how difficult it is to pronounce some of these words. The Omphalus of Delphi is a stone placed at the center of the world by Zeus and has been worshipped for thousands of years. Um, and, you, you know, we also have like the Black Stone of Mecca in Saudi Arabia, where Muslims, they go, I, I, I forget how, you know, I think, I think a Muslim needs to go there once in their life at least. Um, not, not all idolized stones are necessarily objects. Some are shrines and altars or locations placed. Uh, places like the stone heads of Easter Island, which are carved from huge slabs of stone in reverence of their ancestors. You have like Stonehenge in Great Britain, which is still a mystery. But given its solstice alignments and the bodies found buried around it. So you don't hear a lot about this, but around Stonehenge, there's grave sites, you know, these, these mounds where bodies are buried. Uh, I think it's it's pretty clear that that Stonehenge is some sort of religious site. Um, we have Gobekli Tepe, which is uh, Graham Hancock's big on Gobekli Tepe in Turkey. Um, stone monuments like these are incredibly important to those who built them. And they aren't just thrown up for no reason. Right. You don't just build something like this for no reason. You're building it for a purpose. Um and one of these locations that has been talked about a lot lately is, you know, Gobekli Tepe, like I just said, which is the world's, uh, which is officially the world's oldest known megalith dating back to about 9000 BC and consists of several circular rooms with T-shaped stones, you know, these T-shaped pillars uh, that depict, you know, wildlife like lions, bulls, boars vultures and many others so there's you know you you've seen the pictures of them there's like these circle rooms and they have t-shaped pillars and then on the pillars they would carve you know these different types of animals and stuff um there are also human arms apparently carved into the bottoms of these pillars which isn't talked about very much um and and i guess loincloths can be found midway up suggesting that these t-shaped pillars represent deities that were left headless, which is interesting. Um, about 200 of these T-shaped pillars have been found as well as, you know, dwellings, like human dwellings. It was, you know, which is, I feel like a lot of this is, is left out when you talk about Gobekli Tepe. You hear the basics, but you don't really hear 
a whole lot about it. Um, and quite frankly, I don't really think you hear a lot about it anyway. They kind of try and leave it out because it it is. It's like moving the, you know, the story of humanity further. And like we've got into before, you know, um, archaeologists, career archaeologists, they don't like to, you know, say they're wrong. Well, and that's what my thought is in all this is that as you're talking about it, I guarantee there's some people at home going to churn their stomach a little bit because they don't want to uh, identify with the fact that history is subject to change based on the person's perspective. And you hear a lot about this with, uh, I'm not going to say it right, Quintep, say it again, Quintep, how do you say it? Quintepe Tepe. <laughs> like you know and I'm, I'm just i'm stumbling everybody but the reality is is that um there's so much not being spoken about just about that temple and its findings now you know graham talks about it very often that this this temple has so much to it that makes it odd and interesting and let alone the way the structure was actually built so i mean talk about mister mysterious Nobody wants to take any sort of, um, or you want to challenge these archaeologists because, well, look at the what it's going to do to everybody's thought or quote unquote known facts about history. Right. Yeah. So, Quebecle Tepe was, you know, I think he was said that it was buried at some point. Like the people who built it, they buried it uh, purposely and it was lost for however many thousands of years until it was found, you know, quite recently. Uh, another example of these these stone monuments would be the dolmens that dot not only Great Britain, but the world. Um, and some of these dolmens are believed to be upwards of 7,000 years old. Uh, and they're like tombs. So these are like the ones where it's like they go up, there's two stones going up. And then one on the top, you know. And these are believed to be. These are, are these are these entrances, or they're I mean, just. They, they kind of look like. So you've probably seen them, and yeah, they look like they could be doorways, you know, almost. Yeah, that's what my thought goes to when you brought that up. Right, and yeah, so they consist of large stones, usually two horizontal stones uh, set side by side, and one horizontal stone across the top. Uh, we also have these things called menhirs. And much like don't you know they're just like dolmens they're found all throughout Europe, Africa and Asia, but mostly, uh, you know Europe and Great Britain, and they're just like large upright stones, like a single stone that just goes straight up in the air, right? Um, and apparently there are fifty thousand of these found in in Great Britain alone, and about only twelve hundred found elsewhere. Um. The largest standing stone in Britain is called the Rudston Monument, and it stood 26 feet high, but there was 25 feet of it buried in the ground. So this this was, you know, a 51-foot uh, monument. It would have been, which would, you know, and you just think of that, like, it, it you don't just raise... The stone must have weighed. I don't. I didn't get a weight on it. It had to have been ridiculously heavy. You know, you don't just just put this shit up for no reason. You have a reason. 
Um, and I'll, 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 I'm telling you, I'll bring it all back together at the end here. Um, I just want to go over some of these. In the north northwest of France, in the village of Karnak, there are over 3,000 standing stones, many of which are alignment stones, meaning they are placed in, you know, dozens in separate rows that stretch nearly four miles. Uh, there are also Europe's largest standing stone, if it still stood. It's a menhir uh, that has long since fallen, but it would have stood over 60 feet tall out of the ground. Now, mm. at some point, somebody put that in the ground. 60 feet is is ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's just it's it. it I, I can't even imagine somebody doing that. I can't even like when I think of that, there's there's no fucking way I'm putting a 60 foot stone in the ground. Like unless I have a damn good reason to. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like we're getting only part of the story because right. at the end of the day, when something of that nature, the way the, it was, the, it was a structure of some sort. They took the time. Somebody took the time to dig it. Right. Know, it's, that's it's that's the whole thing is that it is. It's just one big mystery. And human made hands. I mean, and that unfortunately goes back to a lot of the unknown when we're talking about what was used back then as instruments to move, cut, rock in general. So, I mean, we get this is a segue to the pyramids at the end of the day, but in my head. But mm. either way, you know. I mean, these Karnak stones are older than the pyramids. Interesting. Okay. So that's good to know. Yeah. So they were built around 4,000 BC, making them older than the Great Pyramids. Uh, however, why, like I said, why they were built, it's unknown. But it, when, when I think of it, it has to be religious. There's a religious purpose. You know, back in the day, 4,000 BC when you're hunting and gathering and your life is, is you're, you know, you don't have time to do stupid stuff all day, like build stone monuments, unless you're building it for a specific reason. And that reason would be to your God, to whoever you're worshiping so that your life can be easier, you know? Um, so standing stones, uh, they weren't the only type of ritualistic stone that we see in history either. Uh, something called the a ho a hoger, which is and th this is uh, uh, from like Norwegian. Um, what do I want to say here? Um, Norse. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's like a Nordic shrine. So this we're we're up in like up up in the north with the Vikings, you know. Uh, so something called a, a hoger, which is a type of ancient Nordic shrine that means altar or sanctuary, uh, which are most most likely made from stone. The term hoger is seen three times in a collection of Norse poems called the Poetic Edda. These hogers uh, were later translated to hirg in Old English, like. I guess in the old English version of Beowulf, this word pops up. And, and these are something that, that really haven't ever been seen before. They've only been read about, you know, in these poems, uh, in this this Beowulf. But it, it, it's some it's some type of of stone shrine. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, the Herg in Old English 
version of Beowulf, meaning a special type of religious site or one occupied by a prominent position on high land uh, was a communal place of worship for a specific group of people, a tribe or folk group, perhaps at particular times of the year. That's a quote. <laughs> I had, you know, and I hate quoting things and not getting the source. I had the source. I don't know where it went, but uh, we also have stone mounds called ovos, which are scattered throughout Mongolia and Siberia, much like the European dolmen. Unlike the dolmens, the Mongolian ovos uh, is known to be more of an altar connected to ancient shamanism in the area rather than thought to be tombs. These ovos are often found in high places like mountains or top passes. Keep that in mind. I'm, I'm, so I, I I tried to put this all together so that it went through Africa and Europe, and now we're getting into to you know you know these Asian areas like Mongolia and Siberia, with because we know supposedly this is this is the accepted timeline. Um, Native Americans and indigenous people of North America, you know, they crossed the land bridge in Siberia to Alaska, made their way down the coastline uh, through Canada, North America, down into Mexico, South America, stuff like that, you know, and they slowly worked their way um, east. So I, I kind of lined it up. And these, these ovos sound a lot like um, these these, these stone monuments that we see on top of Glastonbury Mountain. So across the Barren Strait in the Arctic Circle, the Inuit have been known to build stone carns called Insecooks. These are some mounds, and and these are almost exactly like the ones we see on um Glastonbury Mountain, which is interesting because it seems like as 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 people are moving their way across Europe, you know, out of Africa, across Europe into Asia, it's and and then into North America, it, it this stuff is evolving into or or devolving into what what we see here in in Vermont in New England. Um, some of these stone mounds that are thought to mark everything from fishing locations to safe travel routes to food caches, they're simply mounds of piled stone and are found throughout the Arctic Circle, Baffin Island, um, in northern Canada, has more than 100 of these insecucks built upon its shores. Um, so the, the purpose of these are not really necessarily known, they're they're more used to mark a location. Um, not they don't believe there's so much have anything to do with religious purposes. They're more marking a, a location, which is also interesting. I'll, I'll try to remember that and get into something later on. Um, and I just kind of wanted to bring this up because I thought it was pretty cool. There's another and and we're we're done with the stone monuments after this. I promise. Another interesting stone monument would be this thing that's called the Hammer of Thor. And it's found along uh, the the Arnold River in Quebec. Canada. <clears throat> There's some kind of stone carn made from three major rocks and built in the shape of a hammer. Uh, the Inuit of the area claim it predates them, and it was believed to be constructed by early Viking explorers. It stands about eight feet tall with a cross beam measuring nearly five feet. Um, all right. So. Those are carns seen around the world. And that brings us back to Glastonbury Mountain. 
So unlike New England stone cairns, which are usually constructed on mountains to mark the trail or seen at lower elevations where farmers would plow up these rocks and then they would just kind of pile them together. The stone cairns we see on top of Glastonbury Mountain, it, it they, they don't fit either of these reasonings. There, there, there are no known paths or trails along um, where these, these stone cairns are found until, you know, later on, until the 1930s. You know, obviously nobody's farming up there. So it, it's the, the stone cairns really have no no known purpose necessarily. And I'll get into that later. Um, and they weren't found. So these the stone cairns on Glastonbury, they weren't found until 1996 by a Vermont state archaeologist named Dave Lacey. They're about 3,200 feet in elevation, 500 feet from the summit. Uh, and they, they kind of marked them A, B, C, D, and E. Karn A is three feet, seven inches tall with a diameter of eight feet, three inches. Karn B is three feet tall, 12 and a half feet long, eight feet, three inches wide. Karn C is two feet, four inches tall, seven feet long, seven, seven feet, 10 inches, you know, uh, wide. And Karn a, B, and C, they kind of form an isosceles triangle. Um, yeah, I had a whole bunch of shit, but I'm not going to read it all off. Carn D, one foot, eight inch tall, five feet, seven inches wide. Carn E was not seen at the point. However, you know, it, it's been found afterwards. So these carns, they're, they're pretty big. And I'll post pictures of them. You can see them. And like I said, we know they weren't built to mark any trails because... Trails weren't weren't built until the creation of the Long Trail in 1910, or at or at very least 1989, 1889, uh, due to a topographical map that kind of shows the area. The North American Antiquities Research Association. We've talked about them before. They go around to all these mysterious stone sites in New England. They do all kinds of scientific tests and, and all kinds of crazy stuff on them. And so they, I had a bunch of quotes. I'm not going to read them. They pretty much figured that these stone carns, they very well could be prehistoric, you know, being thousands of years old. They tested the amount of, of uh, moss growth on them. You know, it, it's it's a ridiculous amount. And they believe, they, like I said, they haven't seen anything like these before. There's no purpose for them. They're kind of just here. They believe that they were built for a religious purpose. And then that brings me to this being called Tolbaldak. And so he is the creator god of the Abenaki. You know, I, I went over all that boring rock stuff to kind of back up my argument that these stone carns built on the summit of Gladstonbury Mountain are there because of this creator god that the Abenaki worship called Tobaldak. Um and, and and that that's his that's not his Abenaki name. That's just his his um his kind of anglicized name. Um but he is a creator god. He is pretty much only worshipped by the Abenaki who who are like a subgroup of the the Wabanaki. 
So it's very interesting to me that the Abenaki worship this God. However, their, you know, their family group doesn't necessarily claim this God. And that makes me believe that they saw something on Gladstonbury Mountain that makes them think uh, that there's some sort of God being that lives here, you know? When you're mentioning all these upright rocks and um, temples, we'll call some of them worship stones, do you think in this research you've done that that is a representation throughout cultures that maybe they're worshiping these we'll call them prim primordial gods is yeah, that some definitely. of the idea okay so then with that said first and foremost is that another name for another god that is no he's like specifically only worshiped by the abenaki in this area as well as an abenaki group further north but it, it's like he's like unique too this area interesting right so okay all right i mean i was so, but, go ahead i was just gonna say i was gonna go through a bunch of uh native american creator gods but we can get right in i got a you know this whole thing on tobaldak and like who he is and where he comes from and what he did give me the give me the fast version of all that you put together i bet you know it really well yes so Tobaldak, he existed in an empty plain. There was no color, no sound, uh, no people, no animals, no nothing. It was it was empty, right? Until he decided, and, th and this is what a pr primordial god is. Until he decided, he wanted more. So there's primordial beings, uh, primordial gods, and this is where the the uh, the, the the cosmic waters or the the chaotic sea, the cosmic ocean, whatever you want to call it, it's seen. Everywhere you every religion has some sort of chaotic water. So he, you know, he reaches into this this chaotic water. Right. I'm just I'll just I'm just going to call it the, the chaotic water. He reaches into this chaotic water and he pulls out this turtle who also existed. It's a primordial being. And he builds the earth atop the turtle shell. And then Tobaldak, he creates man from stone, decides that he doesn't like these people. He gets rid of them and he creates Another set of man from wood. Hold on a second. That shit has some like undertones. You know where I'm going with this? Like right. the great flood, the the resets, the whole thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All of these religions are all connected. Um, I got a whole list of them. They all start from this chaotic water, and I have. I'll get right down to it. Ancient Egyptians, they called it the new. Ancient Hindus called it the ast. The Yazidis, they knew it as the dur or the white pearl. Zoroastrians called it the verusica. Judaism called, and, and Judaism, when I say Judaism, I mean, th th this would include Christianity, you know, all these Abrahamic religions. They called it the tehom. Uh, and I, I specifically took slightly more notes on this just because you know christianity seems to play a huge role in this really weird stuff you know you have these fallen angels uh the nephilim you know all this crazy stuff within christianity um the sumerians and the babylonians they knew it as the abzu taoism call it the teo or the wuji 
which meant limitless or infinite, and the Taji, the supreme ultimate, or they just simply knew it as the primordial chaos. Um, and and I didn't cover every religion that I could possibly think of. Those are just a, a, a handful of ones, right, that I pulled out. They all talk about this primordial ocean. And within this primordial waters, there are these primordial beings. Um, so within primordial Sumer, you have several Sumerian gods that existed within the Abzu, including An, Enlil, the creator god Enki. And, and these, these gods are very interesting because they're also considered the Anunnaki, right? It's interesting because I, I didn't even hear you say Rashkigal too, which is like a, it's a dark underworld, kind of like a Hades style for, you know, and this is very specific to uh, Sumerian culture. You know, An right. uh, is like the, you know, like the god of gods and mm -hmm. like a whole, either way, I'm just, this is kind of mind boggling that the actual creator god of the fucking world is right around the corner sleeping in this mountain this is where it, it curves yeah. off the the initial um so what what i what i'm thinking and what i have picked up from all this is there are many creator gods right and they all kind of they're the same group and i think you know it all plays off this anunnaki sumerians they're they're the original um civilization you know they they have the oldest recorded uh, information on, on all this stuff. And I think these same gods kind of are, are all over the place, but they're all given different names. So whether you're in, you know, North mythology or Greek mythology or, you know, whatever mythology you want, even these, these Native American mythologies, they're all the, the same gods um, just acting in different places around the world, right? Does that make sense? It does. And I kind of looked deep into some of these uh, mythologies and, and Sumerian mythology. I didn't really get a whole lot on, even though it seems to be the most important. It was very confusing because you have Sumerian mythology and Babylonian mythology. They're kind of the same, but they're different at the same time. So the Sumerians came first and then the Babylonians came along. Kind of the same civilization, but they, they have totally different mythologies. But they both but believe there's a, isn't there a, a, a huge between Babylonian and Sumerian? Isn't there quite a few supposed thousand years between the two? Yeah, I just know that Babylonian lore is kind of like Sumerian lore 2.0, you know, like. Well, and that's it. I mean, the Sumerian is is the furthest back that we got when it comes to the oldest religion that existed. Um, I did a whole thing on uh, a whole report on this in college for Sumerian culture. Rashkigal was the one I chose. Um, and the whole dynamic of how much, I mean, we'll use Christianity as an example, right? How much Christianity has taken cherry picked right. pieces of religions and turned it into this, but there is some correlations or direct connection between this idea of these from primordial gods that's what they call them or them plural and I, I my brain's going somewhere i'm not sure if we're ready for this <laughs> yet but it's going somewhere and it's in uh 
it's interesting the combination of more and more of this information comes out more people talk about it there's a lot of this genuine similarities mm. you know and it's really intriguing to me that there is a supposed divide on a gods were there was no such thing and i i think god is a matter of description and b how they can't say that these religions are somehow connected by this fine we'll call it the the, the golden strength there's something to them all that have this these odd and i say odd because i don't know how to say it these similarities between them all and if they're in in, in this <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I'm getting I'm getting out there with my thoughts on this. Yeah, no, like I get super confused. Like there's a lot of stuff within Christianity and the lore of the Bible that makes a lot of sense. And like I was saying earlier, this Gary Wayne, this author, Gary Wayne, I mean, he breaks it down into into it. He's very convincing when he talks about these these fallen angels and these bloodlines that that have, you know, stretched on to today. Um, in this this war that's coming of you know end of the world so, prophecies and all this crazy shit. So like I gotta do it because I know there's so much more information. I don't. I'm gonna say I don't know if we're gonna be able to get this all in one sitting tonight. But I think we should go back to this. But I really want to focus on this for a minute because I feel like my brain's about to explode. So yeah. there we keep lately. You know, it just seems to be an ongoing trend where I talk to. The people in my circle, you including in that, we talk about uh, gods, fey, I don't know, supernatural experiences, you know, transdimensional creatures. And it's like there's something that goes back, keeps come popping in my head. Fallen angels, gods, demons, uh, ghosts. It's like there's a fucking, I feel like this is all alien shit. I know it sounds weird, but like, I, how far back does this first and foremost, and it's it's been confirmed that there were larger creatures than human beings. You know, they were big, and you know, you we had a conversation about giants not too long ago about having two sets of rows of teeth being larger than a human being uh they weren't really gendered they were kind of their own thing well if you look at the sumerian kings list i mean they they lived thousands of years and they were those those these beings were 12 15 16 feet tall you know well and you said something really crazy that goes back to this fucking so adam and eve right and we're talking about like today is a I feel like our episode here is a, a to, uh, it's about gods and this this creature this Abenaki god that has this direct connection to creation. It 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 makes me think about like how the Bible has these things behind this Adam and Eve and that we could heal like infinitely. Our bodies could heal infinitely. We were free of disease, supposedly before the, the the first sin occurred. And, you know, if you start piecing this together and you just go for straight 
speculation. What would it look like if we were to say those quote-unquote things that God created that were free of pain, suffering, and all this other shit weren't actually the aliens themselves, and that's just how we've translated it over the years. That these giant beings, these things that the in the Abenaki is our example today, that worship these things, were descent, didn't they truly did descend from the heavens, right? If we really want to get technical here, it's just got my brain. Go- Dude, you see my face right now. I'm just kind of like, this is legitimate. If you guys are watching me, this is legitimate. The strings are crossing here. Yeah, I mean, there's so much behind all of this. Dude, what are you, so what are your thoughts on this? Because I know you have this heavy belief in the Fae, Nick. I, you know, that's your, but is it safe to say that the Fae, I mean, if you were to just change your thoughts for a minute, would it be safe to say that the Fae could be aliens? Yeah, I mean, that's that, I think that's the whole thing. I think that they're all the same. But it just depends on your belief and how you want to look at it, you know, because, te- okay, it, aliens are from space, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what, what if, what if, what if they're not from space and they are, they're trans-dimensional? Aliens can be trans-dimensional. It, it's kind of, I feel like the alien talk is moving towards trans, you know, they're they're not traveling through space. They're they're going through dimensions, um, and the Fae did the same thing. They're from the other world, the Fae realm. You know, they they cross dimensions. I mean, even you talk about Bigfoot and Sasquatch. You know, do you there there are people who will who will follow Sasquatch tracks for miles. They've done this right. They've tracked Bigfoot tracks for miles and miles, and then they just disappear. Like in the middle of a field, they're gone. Poof. Or or a Bigfoot will be standing behind a tree watching you, peeking out, and then it's just gone. Like in and I know uh Native American tribes in the Pacific Northwest, they're big on this. They're they always talk about Sasquatch being a forest spirit. You know, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily officially it it is, it's physical, but it's also walks in the spirit realm. What's the spirit realm? It's another dimension. You know, I think that, you know, it's all the same thing. Bigfoot is a fae, an alien. However you want to look at it, it all comes down to that. Um, it all comes from this other world. That And that's what I'm stuck on. I mean, it, that's why I, I kind of tend to lean more towards the fae because of the whole, um, when I think of aliens, I think of spaceships and science fiction and it the... And and that that's strictly a, a a modern media problem. They're not. They haven't moved towards this transdimensional thing. Uh, Marvel is moving towards that in their you know their new movies where they have the the quantum realm and and um you know all these different variants and and I don't know if you watch the show Loki, but Loki's oh, big yeah. on this on you know different dimensions and stuff going on and um. I just consider that the the other world or the fey realm. You know, you have the 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 Tuatha de Donna, which are big, um, in the fey world, and you know you can move them. They could be you could you could consider the Tuatha de Donna aliens. So they're these beings that came from the other world. 
Um, they had superpowers pretty much. They had all these mythical, magical weapons and they did, you know, battle with these supernatural beings in Ireland. They're from Irish lore. I, I keep hearing so much about them just, you know, and all these podcasts I'm listening to, they, they're coming up really quick, but nobody seems to want to focus on them. But I mean, I can, I consider the two out the day, um, Fey beings, and they're also considered to be gods, not necessarily creator gods, but they are they are of a god-like race. Um, they're not on the on the lines of like uh a Tobaldak, but they're you know, like I said earlier, they're there are first, second, they're primordial beings, then there's first generation, second generation, third generation gods. It's just you know, there's so much behind yeah. all this. And that's the thing, like I and I and I I can't I can't deny your rationale at all because I mean from your point of view that makes sense. And I and I and I think that in in what makes in in this scenario, I think that my brain just keeps on revisiting and, and I think you're you're spot on that it, it can be anything, right? Like interdimensional beings. I mean, that's the question. You know, what is it? Well, and that's the problem is I don't know if we're ever going to find out, but I'm going to sit here all day trying to catch whom, what, where, why, history, whatever and, it is. And that's what I was trying to get at with all this. You know, these people for thousands and thousands of years have built massive stone monuments to their gods everywhere, all over the world. Gladstonebury Mountain has these mysterious stone carns that are quite possibly thousands of years old they some people say they predate the abenaki i've heard that the abenaki even say they didn't build them i just i i see them and i'm like someone builds that for a purpose and it's ritualistic it's got something to do with gods um and and i it you know he's unique to this area he's not when I hear when you talk about the Abenaki, you got to think of the the Wabanaki. The whole how come the Wabanaki they don't recognize this? From what I've I've read at least, and I'm like I I'm not native. I'm not indigenous. I'm not Native American. I'm not Abenaki. You know, I'm not a historian. I've, I've just read this, and it doesn't seem like the Wabanaki have anything to do with this Tobaldak. He's only recognized in this area. They've apparently. They've said Tobaldak lives here. Do not go there. It's dangerous. Stay away from that mountain. You know, you've got this weird shit going on there. I just feel like, and I mean, you could even think of it like he crashed there in a spaceship. Maybe it is an alien. He crashed there in a spaceship. He's under the mountain. He's leaking this. I don't, I don't even know what it would be, you know. <laughs> well, and I mean. Radiation. I, I, I don't know. Like. Well, I was just thinking too, like, what about if the ship that he crashed in this leaking energy, you know, it, I mean, that's goes, possibly that's very well what it could be, you know, but it, it goes so many directions. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm in my head, and I, I think you know me well enough. I'm pretty analytical and looking at the different aspects that make sense. And I'm looking at the, the things that stand the strongest that is direct connection with all the religions, like large, bigger than human beings uh powers they had mm -hmm. like abilities um came from heaven or the sky 
or you know random whatever they depicted in that moment that was whatever they could put a, a word to you know the a sun god or whatever you know and i and i think the the fact that they some of them are kind of douchey like <laughs> some of the you know like let's call it like it is like they were they kind of enslaved some yeah. of the stories say about this and and this is even going to the if any of you guys have watched it stargate talks about something similar in this regard um i won't blow up the premise any more than that but uh if you ever watched stargate please watch it it's a fantastic movie um anyway but we're talking about aliens and the this ongoing these these there's there's specifics now each culture has the ability to fill in some blanks right for whatever suits that culture in the moment i still looking i'm looking at those like if you were to put a paragraph up in front of me i'm i'm just seeing these little highlights my markers coming out just pulling out these these direct pieces that are accurate and like dude like we talked in some of the previous episodes about asteroid impacts and shit like that that have occurred like who the hell knows what landed on our on this planet throughout the years? Like we're fucking naive to think otherwise. And I think if we call him a god, so be it. We'll call him a god. They're so just not a bar. This is what I was thinking about all day today. Um, and when I think of this stuff, I do bring it to to God and the Bible. And and and, and again, I'm I'm not religious. Right. I'm not religious. Um, I'm not baptized. I've never been. I've been to church a couple of times. I played with dinosaurs the whole time. Like <laughs> I'm not religious. I'm not a religious person. However, there's something about these stories in the Bible, the fallen angels and in the, the these uh, Nephilim that just like it, it seems very logical to me. Like this is what is going on. These are the powers that be. Um, and and this this is what I was thinking about all day today. Um, so where was God in the early day? And I wrote it all down because I'm going to ask Gary Wayne these same questions. Where was God in the early days of humans? Why would Neolithic and you know Paleolithic people worship these elemental, you know, fae like gods instead of Yahweh? You know you know, the official Christian God. Um, why would people of the Bronze Age, like the Sumerians and the Egyptians and Greeks and the Norse, why would they worship this pantheon of of gods instead of God himself? Like, where was God in the early days of civilization? Now, I now again, I don't really know the Bible. No, but I'm why telling you show right up now. So late. Well, I got to tell you, God shows up late is because God... I'm not disclaimer. I'm not an archaeologist. I'm a kind of an idiot at times, but I'm going to say that God, the word God, the terminology of an, a single entity came way later, right? You don't hear about. Yes, exactly. I right? mean, I'm, I'm going sure along it with started that. with the Zoroastrians were the first to start. Of but, but the interesting thing is if you break down the Catholic God or the Christian God, it has a lot of traits. Like I'm talking Old Testament. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Old Testament. I am because I got a beat into me when I was a kid, FYI. <laughs> um, but the Old Testament talks about 
you know, not this benevolent God that's all forgiving and loving. Right. He's in fire and brimstone. Right. Like wipe out an entire race of humans because right. they were worshiping other things than not him. Right. You know, the him word, even giving God a gender pisses me off. Like, I, I don't even know how to go. But either way, I do believe I just disclaimer. I do believe in the universe is this large entity. God, I call it God just for comfort. However, I think that the God that we're talking about is made up of many different gods that and you, I don't care if you Christians are going to get butthurt about this or not. And they took it and they melded it together, took all these gods and kind of took all the best traits, as I mentioned, cherry picking early on and cherry picking into this. And I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the Council of Narcia. Yeah. You ever heard? Yeah. So th they got together, I think, that and just said, we're going to take a little bit of this. We're not going to take that. We're going right. to put a whole. That's exactly what happened. So and and that's why I think okay, actually. Can I just say something really quick? Go ahead, dude. In that counts, and <laughs> this is kind of funny. We I talked about this a long time ago in my Christmas episode. In that Council of Nicaea, Saint Nick bitch slapped uh, the leader of the Arians. It was going two ways. It was either going to go this the, the way Saint Nick wanted it to go, or the, this other way, this Arian way. Um, and Saint Nick bitch slapped this guy, and he's famous for doing that. At the Council of Nicaea. Fantastic. <laughs> well, and and uh, and uh, and that's the thing is, is that's where they, you know, a lot of a lot of the, um, you know, the, the iron iron clad, not movable object Catholics are stuck in the idea that that never even happened. Which there's documentation that it did occur that they sat down. But either way, I don't want to digress off where my brain goes to is is that I think. There were a lot of these, and I'm calling them beings for my comfort, way back that had these abilities, these powers that probably landed all over this goddamn earth and had different abilities, definitely. Or, well, here's the other one. Who's to say that they didn't make us? Like, there goes back to the, the birth of the human being story, right? Like, creation. I mean, what if, and this is so fucking cliche, but I'm going to say, what if we were created to serve these beings? Like, I go back to the, some of the, the consistency in slavery in some of these religions. I think that's the whole Anunnaki belief, right? It's in there, but it's also, uh, I mean, fucking Stargate. <laughs> that's their kind of, the premise of the movie. I'm sorry if everybody's listening. I just gave a spoiler. I should have said it out loud. <laughs> I anyway. haven't seen it, all right? Leave me alone. Damn it! I'm sorry. I, I actually got, now I've, I've seen bits and pieces of it, and now yeah. I'm like I gotta watch that. So it's so in, intuitive to our conversation we're talking about right now. Like it, and again, I'm not denying that. Like here, the one that and say his name Talba Nook. How do you say it? Yeah, Talba Dak. Talba Dak. I'm not saying he he ain't powers this this creature. First of all, I believe anything at the end of the day a myth, a myth is based on some story or truth i think so who's to say that this Talbanak wasn't some fucking super powered alien had the ability to do some really cool shit and he maybe it is still sleeping under the mountain here like if it, there's some weird shit and i mean the history stands to tell itself about 
Glastonbury and all the funky events that occurred up there. And I have talked to people and FYI, Nick knows I'm new to the area five years, so I don't haven't been here long, but I've had people tell me about Glastonbury and the weird, weird shit that goes on when they go up there. Mm. Now, it could be human. Uh, we'll call it deflection where they want to manifest uh this stuff to happen maybe but i i, I don't believe in that i mean because my supernatural background i don't believe in that i think there's things happen people are just sometimes more sensitive than others right uh, but glastonbury i've heard some fucking horror stories and regardless of what i think it is what you think it is i'm gonna say there's some really twisted weird shit going on up there yeah i mean Back to Glastonbury and what's going on there in the Bennington Triangle. It's not that big of an area, right? It's not. We're in Vermont. We're not a very big state. Um, but these and and for one reason or another, and I don't know why, these group of people went missing within, you know, the same three years. It was like a three year stretch where just three or five years where where five people Four actually, four people. They found one, just completely vanished. They've never, they've never found them. It's not that big of an area. People go up there all the time. Why haven't they been found? And I personally believe. I mean, you, you know about this. I personally believe that there's an energy within the Bennington Triangle that you know these portals they they open up at random points. For one reason or the other, it's whatever is under the mountain. This is why the Abenakis told people not to go there. You know, they talk about this man-eating stone on the mountain. And I don't now I, I don't believe it's a stone, a monster stone. It's not a stone with teeth that'll come after you and try to eat you. This is a portal. This is a stone that you step on where you just vanish. You're gone. Poof. You're in another realm. Mm. You know, and, and when you were lost in the fog, what was that? Where were you? The, you weren't you weren't there. No, well, not from. Uh, and just for the listeners that don't know, this is a, a previous episode Nick and I did on Pinewood Cemetery. Um, so, yeah, when I was in the fog, um, I mean, when I think about it now and more dissecting, I do of that experience I had. I mean. I wasn't moving because everything was still the same around me. It didn't change no matter how far we walked, ran, whatever, still the same exact image. And sorry, that's impossible unless something else is going on. And I would put my money that that was a, a realm of some kind. Now I, I wouldn't. Now, when you look at it through a Christian lens, and I just listened to Gary Wayne talk about this. You know, he's talking about hell and there's only these certain realms. However, you know, that wasn't hell. Were you in hell? I don't I wouldn't call that hell. I would just call that another realm of some sort. It, you you step through a portal into another realm. And I believe this is what is going on in Glastonbury. However, there's not some sort of of paranormal force that that has imprinted itself to this. To help all the, you know, these people back, they they go through, they get lost, 
and and I personally believe this is the other world, the, fa- the you know the fey realm, and and this is where I get stuck on this whole thing. Like this 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 realm, uh, you know, or you could call it another dimension. It's got to you know that's what it is. I I can I prefer realm over dimension. The same thing, um, and there's just some sort of energy on Gladstonebury that is able to randomly it's it's just like it's like backfiring or something i don't know whether it's this um hyperspace generator on this spaceship under the mountain or or just the the magical energies off a sleeping god i don't know but it's backfiring and it's spitting this energy through the mountain and every now and then for one reason or another people are stepping through something and they're disappearing well, and I, it's interesting when you talk about like um, you talk about ghosts or something touching you that isn't there, you know, and I, I've tried to kind of rework my mindset to not necessarily, I don't know, ghost is just a fucking definition as all things are based on English language and any language. Um, but what is it? What if it's a, a person stuck between realms, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's their essence that's kind of coming through or. I mean, we automatically go to the idea that we see a ghost or a creature, you know, I'd love to see what a study looks like if it's what we want our mind to tell it is. Right. You know, human suggestion or is it actually something there? But it's it's just an energy or a, a silhouette, per se. So. Like, I mean, I don't know, like, you know, this dimensional portal existing, I mean, it makes total sense when you, because I wasn't thinking about it like that. I was actually thinking about, like, there being some sort of fucking rock monster, but it makes more sense when you explain it some, as an Indian perspective, or we'll say indigenous people, um, tribal, right. they would have They wouldn't described, have known how to explain it, you know? Right, and that's kind of where a lot of our... English language or even modern language is trying to bring back some of these wordings like the, as I'll go back to referencing Graham Hancock for a second, when he talks about these snake hieroglyphs being everywhere on a lot of these cultures, they're most likely depicting a comet looking at it as being evil, crashing in earth and destroying things. So I think everything's a matter of interpretation, right? You know, and we just put, what we think it means and that's why i still think you know in my mindset uh, fucking who the hell would have thought that we call them aliens that these and even what that what is it but isn't it technically too even if we were to get real scientific interdimensional beings are most likely fucking aliens like they're not of this realm so they are technically aliens they're alien to this place yeah exactly so you know, my brain just wants to go <laughs> because there's so much direction. And I mean, we could beat this fucking thing to death for hours on end trying to figure this out. And I, I'm still speculating, but I do know from what you've told me, from what other people have told me, that Glastonbury has some weird, weird shit. And this just adds to me more of the wanting to know more about that place. Like, well, I can just sum it up for us really quick and we can get out of here. Um, so, yeah. yeah, 
night. Well, either that or I think we should revisit this. I think we should. I mean, yeah, we can we can continue it. Definitely. I just wanted to kind of bring everything back down. Before we leave. Do it up, man. Um. So, yeah, I mean. I set out like I'm telling you, I got I got notes upon notes upon notes. I got so many notes. I got bored of reading them. Um, <laughs> there is, <laughs> but trying to prove my point, I went through everything for thousands and thousands of years. People have built stones, worship stones, in representing their gods. I believe, from everything that I've read, that these stones on Gladstonebury, there's there's two options. We have two options: religion. Or their markers. And we didn't even get into markers. We can get into that later. But we know from the first days of European settlement that Glastonbury was was a don't go there zone. Do not go there. The Abenaki, they warned the European settlers to stay away. The Abenaki didn't go there themselves. And why is that? I, I, I personally think it's because of these stones. They're marking or they're put there for a reason because of this tall ball deck. You know, these Abenakis, they they clearly saw something they couldn't explain, whether it was aliens, whether it was uh, just a, a being of higher power. It's there on the mountain. Um, they marked it with these these stone carns, and it's, it's giving off some kind of power. And I went through all these religions. You can... You know, this, these primordial beings, this cosmic sea, it's seen everywhere. Every religion has them. Um, well, I don't want to say every religion, but a lot of religions, they have this primordial uh, beings in this chaotic sea. And the same goes for the Abenakis, um, different tribes throughout America. It's all the same. It all comes back to the same beings. You can trace it all the way through history to Sumerians and before. Um, yeah, I kind of got lost at what I was just saying, but there's something on Gladstonebury Mountain that is powerful. The Abenaki, they warned people not to go there. And it is, I, I truly believe it's powerful enough to open portals just randomly. Not, not even, you know, just something's giving off some sort of energy on that mountain and it's causing all sorts of crazy stuff to go down. So I want to put a part, just a, a a plug for part two of this, um, because, you know, I'm wondering, and if any of you listeners are out there locally in the Vermont area, or even people outside of the, the Vermont area that have had experiences at Glastonbury Mountain and be willing to talk to us or come on the show, reach out, go through our Facebook, Instagram, you know, hit us up because... I think it would be great for us, and you tell me what you're thinking, Nick, if we could do some interviews with some people that have been up to Glastonbury, you know, had some stuff happen to them, you mm. know, why not? Because there's so much more history and lore. I know Nick's got pages. <laughs> of I I have had people tell me stories of Glastonbury, but I've really only got one good um, encounter from the area that uh, I mean, I I'll, I won't forget it. And I've said well, it. Well, don't several... don't save it. We don't want to get it tonight. Well, but... I mean, I I've said it several times on the podcast. It's, it's a great story, 
Um, but I can't remember who sent it to me. It was so long ago. I wish I could remember. So if you're the dude, if you're if you're listening and you're the guy who is cutting uh evergreens to make Christmas wreaths on Glastonbury Mountain, then please send me an email. Uh almost pod at gmail.com. I remember your story. I just don't remember who you are. Uh, but we I'd love to to bring you on and, and talk to you about this. And anybody else too that has had the experience or um has anything that to share family wise too. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, first, it goes for anybody who's had anything weird happen to them. Let's have it reach out, take that email down, get a hold of us. But I think it'd be good to carry on part two and you explaining more about the magic powers of this friggin' entity that's right at our back door because I feel like there's some more going on. I know I'll look into some more and get some more information together so I can have more to talk about about this Tulbanek. And yeah. uh, there's really you you can't find much online. There's, I'm gonna have to do. I'm gonna do some digging. I'm gonna try. Yeah. See what I come up with, and even take maybe do a little uh, history dive on some uh, Abenaki, Abenaki around here. You never know where you turn up. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I have emailed the the band out of Brattleboro to ask them some questions, but I haven't heard back. And the last time I talked to an Abenaki leader, he was not interested whatsoever of even sharing anything with me. <laughs> and, and and respectfully so, that's a private culture for them, I imagine. Uh, but if anybody's out there that's listening, you got some insight to the Abenaki too. Let's have a conversation. Come on, on. Get a hold yeah, of us. Definitely. Uh, and that definitely sounds almost canon to me. Thank you.